Hey everybody, welcome along to another month, another webinar, and this time we're here talking about how to cash flow hack your investment properties. And for this webinar, I am joined by my colleague Ilsa Wolf from Opus Accelerate. Now we're going to have such an excellent session on tonight, but in order to make sure that happens, we need to make sure that all of the technology is working and that you are able to hear us. So I would love for you guys to comment down in the chat where you guys are attending from tonight. I can already see that a bus is coming from Auckland. We've got Doc here from Christchurch. Derek's from Auckland. We've got Helen, I think I saw from the Hawke's Bay. Now, who here is coming from Taranaki? I want to see where it is. I want to see. Is it my dad? No, it's Hayden from Taranaki. Now, that makes us really excited because both Ilsa and I originally come from Taranaki. She from uh, the north up in New Plymouth. I come from South Taranaki in Hawara. Uh, so really oh, awesome to see that we've got people here from Tapudi to Christchurch to Sunny Nelson. Emma, Tony. Um, Levin, uh, Perth. we got somebody coming in from Perth. Uh, Raglan and Jeff has told us that he is from the mighty city of Manaya, which is population about a thousand in South Taranaki as well. So good to have you along, Jeff. Now we're going to rip straight into it because the exciting thing about tonight is we've got two people People coming in, real investors who are going to share their stories and show us the sort of properties that they have been investing in. And this is going to give you guys a really good sense about what is possible in today's market. And I'm sure that they are going to inspire you to take action and grow your property investment portfolios. Let's rip straight into it. I can see we've almost got 100 people here tonight already and more will join as we go through the session. So as I said, tonight is what we call Property Live, which is where we share with you a whole heap of investment education from Opus Partners and Opus Accelerate. Today is all about how do you how do you get the bank to say yes to your next investment property? Now, here's what you're going to get tonight. You're going to get the entire webinar for free. That includes the recording. Any data we share, and there potentially could be a lot of it, depending on the questions you ask, you're going to get that for free. And as always, we are going to do a Q&A session at the end of the webinar entirely for free. One thing that I would ask you for is to make sure you set your chat settings to send your messages messages to everyone. One of the best parts of Property Live, of course, is that you guys are able to chat back and forth throughout the webinar. I'll be in there seeing what you guys are saying, but often what happens is you guys will start answering one another's questions. Now, that works out really, really well if Ilsa and I start chatting about some technical sides of property. So make sure that you're sending all of your messages to everybody so that you are able to respond to each other's questions. You might think, well, why should I listen to these two? Well, first of all, my name's Ed McKnight. For anybody who hasn't met me before, I uh, run and host the Property Academy podcast that is New Zealand's number one business podcast, which has been downloaded over six and a half million times since we started about three and a half years ago. On top of that, uh, our company, Opus Partners, they own Informed Investor Magazine. That is the major or main investment magazine in New Zealand. We also own New Zealand Property Investment magazine and you can see on that cover is featured Ilsa Wolf. I must say as well Ilsa 
actually hit the cover of that magazine before we bought it. So we didn't buy it and put her on the cover. She got on there herself uh, before we picked up that magazine. And if you have not met Ilsa Wolf, you've got to know who she is. She has been a property investor for over 16 years now. Has a $19 million property portfolio focused on the Burr strategy. Of course, she writes for New Zealand Property Investor Magazine and has completed over 100 renovations if we include everything that she's done for investors at Opus Accelerate. So certainly knows her stuff when it comes to running a renovation. Now what I want to do to kick us off is to learn a little bit more about you guys who are listening tonight. So I'm going to put a poll across your screen and it's going to say what is stopping you from an either investing in property or growing your portfolio. There are a lot of you here tonight who are investors, already investing in property. So what's stopping you from either investing in your first property or growing your portfolio? Is it on the deposit side? Do you have too little deposit? Is it servicing or the income side of your mortgage application? Is it that you don't know where to start or is it something else? I'm going to put that poll across your screen right now and we'll be able to get into it. I can already see that we've had about half of you guys have answered that poll and once we get to about 70 responses, we'll probably stop and share that across your screen. The cool thing is that I can see your responses and uh Real time here, and Ilsa wants to go see them as well. So we're going to end that in three, two, one, in that poll, and share the results. So we can see right now, about 16% of you guys are saying, I don't have enough deposit. That's about 10 people here on the webinar tonight. 63% of you are saying, my servicing is just too tight. It's the income side of your mortgage application. About 10% of you say, I don't know where to start. And for a couple of you, it's something else is holding you back. And for those people who are saying something else, let us know what that is down in the chat. We want to know what's stopping you either starting or growing your investment portfolio. And I'll stop sharing that and we'll get back into that webinar. The really cool thing is by letting us know what's holding you back, that is going to give us a really good sense about how we tailor the webinar for the rest of tonight's session. Now there are two main things that we're going to do in tonight's webinar. The first is to hear from a wonderful couple. We were chatting with them just before we got into, uh, before we went live on the webinar. Uh, the first couple is Vicky and Stratton and we're going to talk about how they boosted their income to invest again. The second is a wonderful investor called Jess and we're going to talk about how she is recycling the equity within her properties in order to build a passive income and extract deposits to go ahead and continue to invest. But just before, just before I bring Vicky and Stratton on, we do need to talk about some of the basics because I understand that we come from a range of different situations and, um, and, and levels of comfort with property investment here tonight. So let's just cover some of those basics. Now Ilsa, talk to me about what we're seeing mm. here right now. I see that in 2022 we had interest rates very low and what was the impact on the cash flow of an investment property? Because this is what we're looking at right now. This is the annual cash flow of an investment property over the last 15 years. That's right. So this is a uh, the ROI or return on investment calculator, which is our guiding light for all, you know, starts 
kicks off every property assessment. Um, so here, you know, back, what, 12 to 24 months ago when we were all locking in, you know, if you were already investing, locking in these very low, record low rates, which none of us had seen even before this time before. And it was quite easy to get passive cash flow. So. Uh, existing builds, new builds, even without renovating an existing build, cash flow was relatively easy and probably went by the wayside less of a consideration back then because almost every deal looked good without having to think about, okay, do I need to get involved? And 2% interest rate now, if you're refixing or have recently refixed, you're looking at a triple or triple, triple that interest rate now. All of a sudden, combined with the fact that for existing builds, that lack or the, the actually the emission of interest deductibility uh, for the cost of your loan is now sending every property basically into a negative gearing, which means the rent and the operating expenses cost more than the rent that is coming in. So that that the the playing field for investing has dramatically changed over the last 12 to 18 months. And even if we look at that first year where it says one and we've got a column next to it, what that's showing is that at a 2% interest rate, the same property that would have made you $5,000 a year in positive cash flow, that's about $100 a week, today it would be about negative 12 grand per year. That's what you as the investor would have to top up the property by because the rent isn't covering all all of those costs. Mm -hmm. So it's gone from about positive $100 a week to negative $400 a week. And what's changed? Primarily the interest rate. So yeah. it's really important to recognise this as we talk about, well, why would you renovate properties? Mm -hmm. And of course, the reason is to get a better cash flow. But also one thing that's really important to recognise is that you have said that 2023 could be the time for the Burr strategy to shine. Of course, this is the renovations based strategy where you buy, renovate, rent, refinance, and repeat, and that is the main strategy we're gonna talk about today. And, and why are you saying that 2023 is the time for the Burr strategy to shine? Mm. Well, it's a strategy that I'm personally very passionate about. I've focused on it for my entire sort of property investment career. And I do genuinely believe that adding value, you know, if the market's on the up, that's fantastic. You get carried by the market, you make extra equity. However, in a declining market, and let's face it, the last 12 to 18 months have been quite an uphill battle, but the benefit from the strategy has been that if you've put your hard-earned dollars from your work or however into a property, um, you've added value. So even if the market had come back, you were still adding value and that if, if the market had reduced the value of your property, it was some of that value you were perhaps losing, not your original deposit. But it's been very, very difficult to get the results we would typically look to see. Now, because of a couple of recent changes with the Reserve Bank signaling that we're likely at the top of the OCR rate, and also some of the economists out there signaling that we're possibly at the bottom of property prices, it feels like we're heading towards the best part of the cycle for the strategy, which is that you can renovate, add value, and then some. The market is going to help, help uh, carry you forward again. And Mark, I can see that one of the things that Mark is saying down in the, in the chat, he said, what's holding me back? Trying to work out whether we have bottomed out. Now, that is such a great question, Mark. Mm -hmm. And perhaps we will come to that in the next, uh, in the Q&A section at the end. Of course, I forgot to mention right at the start, my role is that I'm an economist. I look at all of the data. And so uh, I have some things to say about that specifically. Now, also, one of the ways that we specifically approach renovating 
properties is using what we call the cash flow hacking strategy. These are the six, the six steps that have the biggest impact on both increasing the rent, but also on increasing the value mm. of a property. So walk us through what these six cash flow hacking steps are for anyone who's not familiar with these. Right, and first of all, welcome as well for spending your Tuesday night learning this and progressing yourselves rather than watching Netflix. This is a great win for you. <laughs> are you saying we're not more entertaining than Netflix, Elsa? <laughs> they are progressing themselves, that's what's more important. <laughs> so, the six cash flow hacking steps, these are the tried and true principles that really nudge the rent performance or how you can manipulate, I guess, an existing build property. So typically 60s, 70s, 1980s properties, uh, existing builds. And um, through my 15, 16 years, these are the principles I have seen consistently carry me forward to build my portfolio of properties. So number one, first and foremost, um, it's, oh, sorry, it's also really important to mention that these also, while they drive the rent uh, and the performance of the existing build, um, inherently the value add comes with them. So you get the best of both, the, the, the rent uh, improvements as well as the value improvement. But number one, basically non-negotiable, unless you can convince me otherwise, is add an extra internal bedroom. So this is where you want to keep this still as cost effective, time effective, and if the property seems too difficult to achieve that within, probably move on to the next deal if it doesn't work. Number two, assess the rent. So if it's a standalone, typical uh, 1970s weatherboard house and it's a three bedroom, one bath, 95 square meter house, um, we want to find out based on the location, the most likely tenant type that you want to focus in on as your future tenant, is how that property presents in its uh, real estate listing the best use of that property? Have there been infrastructural changes? Should we be looking to convert this to a home and income, a multi-income, a room by room? But keep in mind that with additional change comes complexity and cost. Number three, upgrade kitchens and bathrooms. Visually, both for the valuer and your future tenants, these are the rooms they will focus on and look at, particularly the women, and think, do these look great or do they look original? Now, Ilsa, that's <laughs> quite a sexist comment saying that us men are not interested in what the bathrooms and kitchens look like. I'll have you know I use the microwave frequently. Now, number four is the paint refresh. Why is that so important? This is the most cost-effective way, and if you wish to be involved, and that's the thing, cash for hacking, you can delegate, you can get all the experts involved and completely be hands off, or you can be totally DIY. Either way, number four is the most cost effective bang for buck. The, it's the, you know, the highest number of square meters, I guess, within the house. A fresh coat of paint goes a long way to adding value for your registered valuation at the end, but also to appeal to your future tenants. If they walk into a house for the viewing and it feels like a brand new house, like it's fresh for them, that will fare really, really well. Number five, flooring refresh. Flooring can be quite costly and it's really important to note that if you're in New Plymouth, for example, the cost of replacing the flooring for a 90 square meter house is often very different from a different market. So it comes down to supply, labor, um, you know, competition. And so therefore, this is one that I particularly try to err on the side of, is there a cost effective way? Can I commercially clean? Can I rug doctor? Um, and evaluate both the hard flooring or the carpet separately. 
I imagine that New Plymouth might be a bit cheap of you because you get the mates right. I was wondering what you were staring at me for. So no, I'm listening to you. Now, come on to number six. We've got fit, fittings and hardware yes. upgrades. What do we mean by that? So these seem like all the, the little details. Doorknobs, uh, light fittings, the style of the light fittings, uh, sconces, you know, are the light and hardware details modern or really retro? Because the retro, it's a collective impact. If you have... You know, the kitchen looks old because the knobs are really outdated and the light fittings are distracting and horrific. Um, then that can actually detract from your overall value add and also that means there's probably less appeal for your more discerning tenant. And now, that brings us to number seven. What is the bonus <laughs> of the six cash flow hacking steps? So I'm really excited to get straight into Vicky and Stratton's case study because they really deploy all of the above, uh, including bonus number seven. So a cabin or sleep out. For those of you have not, who have not heard about this, this is an external bedroom, a cabin, a sleep out, up to 30 square metres detached is the building code sort of terminology. You can have potentially one, maybe two, maybe three bedrooms added externally. Fully compliant, there are a few things to comply with, but make sure you just Google that. 30 square metre detached rule. It's a fantastic, cost-effective, fast way to add healthy home certified rooms to your rental. And one of the things I really want to talk about as well is that often people will call me and say, Ed, you know, what should I be doing if I renovate a property? This is it. These are the six or seven steps that you guys can use in order to improve both the rentability and the value of that property. And one thing that I do want to say as well is that there are some things that cash flow hacking is not. For instance, cash flow hacking is not land development. That's where you purchase a massive block of land, you carve it up into different sections, get it all consented, and perhaps sell it on to other developers or build yourself. And it's usually not suitable for new builds. I would say 99.9% of the time. I think there was one case study we ever did where it was suitable for a new build. But generally speaking, this will not be suitable for a new build property. We tend to target properties built somewhere between the 60s and the 90s, sometimes a little bit older, sometimes a little bit newer. Mm -hmm. But what it is, is it is a fast, cost and time effective way to renovate a property with minimal red tape or consents required. That's what we're trying to target because if we do it fast, if we do a renovation fast, we can get that property rented out mm. really quickly yeah. so that we aren't personally paying a whole heap of mortgage payments yeah. without having a tenant giving us mm. rent. That's well, the most important thing. Yeah, what I would say though is with the land development aspect, that is definitely the second, you know, cash flow hacking, getting the rent return higher up on the existing build. The land development aspect is, however, a very important benefit of an existing build rental because if that's your second bite at the cherry or a second step in your future where you can subdivide or develop that land, you know, maybe it's not even subdivide but possibly put a second dwelling in the backyard, it gives you multiple exit strategies later down the track. So it's still very important, but for the purposes of buying to cash flow hack, we focus on the build itself. Okay, well let's come to our two investor case studies and we are about to talk to Vicky and Stratton. But just before I get them to turn on their cameras and have a bit of a chit chat with them, what I first want to do is just introduce them. These guys both work in the public sector, they've got a family of four and what they really wanted was a higher income to build their portfolio because of course passive income equals a better lifestyle. And the thing that I really admire about these guys is they were ready to muck in especially with their kids as well. So what I'm going to do now is stop sharing the screen 
and we're going to bring those on. Vicky and Stratton, turn on your camera, turn on your mic, let's have a chit-chat. We want to talk to you guys. Hi. Hello. <laughs> now, first of all, I do want to say thank you guys so much for coming along. As I was saying before we went on to air, it is such a beautiful thing that people are willing to share their stories about investing in property, and I really appreciate you guys being with us today. Thank you. Yeah, no, thanks for having us. Yeah, all good. Happy to do it. Thank you. So, um, you know, really this is a great opportunity for other, you know, viewers listening to sort of understand how, you know, basically your story. So, first of all, maybe tell us a little bit about, you know, why property investment is important to you or how you decided it was important and what role it would play. I mean, you're both working, you have kids, very well-behaved kids that read beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> when they're in the office situation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure to explain that one, but complete um, yeah, so how so when did you start investing first of all and, and then at what point did you decide you wanted to really kick it up a notch to build your portfolio more actively? Um I suppose it was um we kind of you could say we maybe accidentally fell into it because we had a two-bedroom unit that we used to live in and uh, we decided to and we've we've always been kind of believers that you pay off debt so we got stuck into that mortgage and paid it down aggressively not knowing that was actually a correct step to take at the time so when we bought uh, a new house that we wanted to move into we had the opportunity of keeping the two-bedroom unit so that was inadvertently that was our first investment property um, so we managed to keep a hold of that, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of um, what happened then, I suppose, what kept us going was um, uh, um, a friend. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I was going to say, a friend of ours actually um, passed us the uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad book, and the, fa the very famous book, and I, re I read that, and we listened to the yeah. audio, actually. Yeah. And then we kind of thought, well, um, and then um, I suppose the COVID time hit, property values went up, and then suddenly we saw this two-bedroom unit grow, so and we're just like, wow, is this what it's all about? So we thought, oh, well, let's, let's look into this a bit more. So that's when our financial education journey really started. So we um, paid for some courses, read free articles, Opez um, Partners has been a big part of our financial education with podcasts, the articles online. And um, yeah, we did some paid courses as well. Um, but yeah, it was very much about um, educating us. Yeah, and yeah. taking steps to get ourselves into the best position. So that kind of what got us into more property investment, really. And it's interesting because I'm pretty sure one of the very first calls when we met, I'm fairly sure you were in the two-bedroom unit, this is what great landlords they are, their tenants in this original two-bedroom unit had gone on holiday overseas. Vicky and Stratton were in there painting and upgrading the bathroom for them while they were away on holiday. And that was, was that, would you do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, it was, yeah, it was a funny phone call, like, we don't have time to talk to Elsa, we've got painting to do. Yeah. Yeah. Was that was the experience there? What helped you decide that actually you think you could go further rather than the the, the paint, uh, the paint refresh and the um, bathroom? Was that what really got you into it? Thinking we're really capable, or you know that's a part of renovation. But how did you go from there to hey look, this is going to be integral to us building our family income? It definitely made us 
because we were already wanting, you know, looking to make the next step to get another property. But I think it made us think, yeah, we want to be quite hands-on. We quite enjoy the hands-on and we see the, the money it saves us as well. Like had we paid someone to paint that place rather than taking a few days, it would have um, you know, made a big difference. So yeah, it definitely got us on that track. And what I'm just going to ask, yeah. just before we come into the next question as well, I know that Tushar has just said in the yes. chat that there's just a little bit of echo in the background. Do you mind just turning down your guys' volume just a tad um, so that our voices isn't coming back through your microphone? Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Now, Ilsa, let's jump into the case study and see what these guys have done. And I know that you were going to share some of what these guys have been doing. Right. Well, I mean, it's one thing, we've had a few webinars where, you know, we're explaining what other investors are achieving, but this is such a great, I'm so excited about this because you can talk, help talk us through, or take everybody through what you have put into play. And I think it's a really important point to note because you have been so hands-on in this and the kids, you know, it's a family of four um, recreational activity, basically. Um, and what you've achieved has been incredible. So I think we sort of talked about when we first met, you were, sprucing up the rental while your tenants were on holiday. Not sure how many landlords I've heard of doing that, so that's just incredible. And, you know, then we started working together and, um, you know, a bit of reshuffling, uh, access to your usable equity. You're self-educated. You knew that you wanted to get into uh, another uh, another purchase. And the case study we're about to go through is very much a sort of cash flow focused one. Um, and I think there are a couple of really uh, interesting stories, particularly with your negotiations and, and bits and pieces we'll get you to talk through as well. But basically leveraged your home, the first unit that you added value to, then we've got come on this journey together with your first cash flow hack property. Locals in Christchurch, hands on in central Christchurch where there is a real need for family homes and, and you know, fresh, uh, renovated, well-maintained, um, but affordable. Um, and so that's precisely what we'll take you through. And steps from there uh, would be, you know, increasing the performance of that rental property, adding value to it, being really hands-on, and then looking to get back into the bank to make that next move. So we really want to share the journey with everybody there. And what I'll just say as well, thanks so much for their feedback just around the ECHO team. What I'll do is I'll just um, mute Mickey and Stratton uh, once they've finished talking. When you, guys, when you guys talk, we'll just get you guys to unmute yourselves. No issue, just so that we've got really nice audio and people can focus on the really cool story that we're talking about. Great. So this is some before photos. So we're talking central Christchurch here. So this is the cash flow hack number one or 101 for Vicky and Stratton. So um, do you want to talk a little bit about, first of all, sort of, you know, there were quite a few deals that we looked at, we analysed together. And it's, it's quite an odd thing, but um, I was discussing with Jess as well before that you sort of talk about, oh, you're disappointed, missing out on properties. But when you land on the right one, it truly is the right one. Um, I think there's a really interesting story that should start this case study, which is um, the purchasing process. So are you happy to sort of share, you know, was this an investment property of the vendors or was it an owner-occupied? What was that situation and what was that purchasing process by, um, by which you negotiated to win this property? Um, so yeah, this property was um, an owner-occupied property and it had been in their family a long time ago. It had been through three generations, I think it was. Um, and it actually changed quite a bit the house as well during that time, um, which was a little extra bonus for us. You had a floor plan. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but prior to this, I think we'd brought quite a few houses to you as a maybe a good three or four that you had politely maybe gone, mm, not quite, <laughs> not the house quite that you want. Um, and I think, you know, like, yeah, you put a lot of time and effort in and you think, oh, that was a flop. But we learned from every single one, I think, as to why it was not the right house. And it helped when we came to this one that we were like, okay, this is, seems to be ticking all the boxes that we wanted. Then. We spotted the opportunity, didn't we? Yeah. Early in the way. yeah, yeah. Mm. And talk us through that because, you know, we focus on the return on investment calculator and the numbers. And we always say investment's about the numbers. But also, in parallel, we're also. thinking about that qualitative or the you know, the, the, the situation, yeah, what's the, the method of sale, the who's the owner, sale? what's their motivation, what's the agent situation, are they are they excited, are they fatigued? Um, talk us through uh, purchase price, sort of it was an auction or deadline sale, just correct me there, and you came in early and you had a strategy there. Um, yeah, so we, we basically um, uh, saw this come up to market week one and we're quick to um, check it out and essentially it was for auction um so once we did our first walkthrough um we quickly jumped on to due diligence because we knew we could quick we could see what an opportunity there was for us mm. so and the, the vendor's situation was actually that they were looking to move um and they i think on two occasions were interested on another house but because they couldn't sell this one um they um the the house for them fell through mm. so um obviously motivated and um the real estate agents as well were keen to move their house on for the vendors um so that they can move on with their lives and purchase outside of Christchurch where they wanted to live so um yeah seeing the opportunity we got jumped onto due diligence right away you know, all those um, things we'll learn through yourself, Ilsa, Ilsa, like calling the council, doing the rental assessments, seeing what kind of rental budget it will require. Um, so we got, um, yeah, we, have, we had walkthroughs with a builder. Yeah, took the builder and, through, which was really good to do yep. as well. Yeah. That's all right, yeah. Yeah, so that was the kind of situation. And what we managed to do was once we um, complete our due, due diligence, um, we were in a position where we could with yourself as support. And this is what gave us confidence working with yourself is just to go, right, we would like to make an offer. Let's bring that auction forward. Pre-auction offer. Yeah, do a pre-auction offer. So that was a scary experience for us because we've never done that before. And it was quite nerve wracking when you have to spend quite a lot of money potentially. Yes. So um, yeah, bring the auction forward. Um, so that all went quite smoothly. Yeah. And tell you what the most nerve-wracking experience ever sitting in that auction room just praying no one else is going to walk through the door because they were quite confident we were the only ones yeah um yeah and it worked out for us which was good so um basically mm. the um, what the sale price was our pre-auction offer mm. that's right and i think what was what you spotted straight away was that you know when we're going through what do, what should the property look like what makes it ripe for cash for hacking and when you look at these photos especially the top left it looks like quite a large house and you were very quick to jump into the property files call the council and find out that hang on there has already previously been an extension on the the sort of facade or that front area and there was a very large uh, lounge but 
honestly, that lounge could have accommodated half a house, I think it was so large. So first of all, you knew the triggers to think, hang on, there's a lot of space in this house. You did your due diligence, um, pulled out the files and actually found because there had been a couple of changes in that floor plan, there were some opportunities to reinstate. So we'll get into those in a second. And that's probably a good point to start looking at that specific floor plan that we've got there. So Ilsa, just walk us through what we're seeing on the right hand side of our sure. screen. And then we're so, going to go through both the cash flow if you didn't renovate and the things the that steps. these guys have done. Awesome. So. On the right hand side of your screen you'll see the original floor plan so uh, I guess if you're looking at the right hand side of the screen that's effectively the road view that you would have seen in the photo so a very large living room with a deck along to the top right there two bedroom house but 110 square meters that was one of the first things I think that probably signaled to you that hey we've we've got a pretty large two-bedroom house here. There's probably a bit of slack in this floor plan to see what we can do to, to add or tweak some value here. One bathroom, but interestingly, uh, center left is the bathroom, but interestingly, being an older house, there's the laundry to the bottom, but the toilet was down there. So the great thing is we have plumbing in two locations. Again, another sort of tip that there's some ways to add value here. Purchase price, which was your pre-auction offer, nobody else bid against you, correct? So. <laughs> sweating, sweating, phew, didn't have to lift the price. <laughs> uh, four, two, six, slightly below market value as well. Um, but this, this was an owner-occupied property, but looking at how the market rents would have played out um, would have been around $480 if it were a rental at the time. Now, Ilsa, walk us through as well. And then we'll come to the mistakes just because of the, the, the audio that we've got. Just walk us through mm. uh, what that cash flow would have looked like had they not renovated. Yeah. So the market value of this property was, was several thousand more, but tapping into that motivated vendor situation um, and giving them an out was actually a way that they came in below market. So Vicky and Stratton did really well on the purchase price. However, even with that being said, um, being a, you know, with purchasing a, an existing build, you, they would go straight into 100% interest non-deductibility on the loan. And this was leveraging another property that they had, so usable equity, which is of course interest bearing, then purchasing the property, you know, basically 100% loan if we talk about it that way. Um, this is what the cash flow would look like if it were at $480 per week. So this is a negative cash flow. So the brackets mean that they would be, Vicky and Stratton would be topping up on top of receiving rent of $480 a week, they would be topping up about $15,000 on top in year one. So, so that works out to be about $290 per week. Now, Ilsa, take us through some of the things that they've done. And just, just when you want to talk to Vicky and Stram, we'll get them to unmute to get that extra detail Perfect. there. Okay, great. So let's run through the cash flow hacking principles so you can see visually what they did. This was a really interesting one. This is such a good learning here because not only did they add one internal bedroom, but you would have seen before on the previous slides that the, the layout was quite unusual. Through the very detailed due diligence, they found that the house had already changed a couple of times and what they identified were the two internal rooms to add. There was an office and a dining room. Dining rooms are quite common for bedroom conversions, although this one, the layout was actually quite different. Once they started getting into the work, they actually uncovered I mean, they knew in the paperwork there was an original layout, but once they pulled off some of the old jib, they found the original door frames. So this was a matter of reinstating some of the original. So here, when you look at the photos above, which is before, this is the old office. 
just bridging on six square metres, which is an adult sized bedroom. Um, where you see that small window at the top, that would not allow this room to comply as a bedroom. So for a habitable bedroom, the, the window needs to be 10% of the floor size. And at least half of that or 50% of that window opening needs, sorry, of that window needs to open. So there was this whole process, they've cleverly found another window that complies so that this, this bedroom can be re uh, repurposed into a bedroom. And there was also sort of a, a funny wardrobe that if they needed to get an extra half metre <laughs> space, they could have sort of moved that to make it work. The other bedroom was a dining room. And interestingly, where they wanted to, well, ended up reinstating the door was in fact the original door. So we kind of, well, they kind of got this extra fourth bedroom as a bonus. Is there anything you want to add to that? I don't think so, actually. I think we got, because um, we found that out from the council, actually, because they gave us, when we asked for all the paperwork sort of things they gave us this previous plan of the property and it actually showed kind of how it used to be so mm. we were kind of like well that's handy yeah so that was the um when it built the extension um they um to make the lounge bigger that was a floor plan from them from then but what interestingly what that helped with was because we were concerned if we re if we put in uh, this third and fourth bedroom, we would have to knock through a, uh, a load-bearing wall. Mm -hmm. So suddenly you're thinking, oh, extra costs, and oh, yeah. um, you know you, you can't maybe afford that. But yeah, so through getting those council, working with the council, and getting that floor plan, suddenly you saw where the original um, original doors were, and that meant we were able to get direct the builder and say, hey, can you just check this for us? And sure enough, yeah, there was door frames already in there. So there's no concerns about um, load-bearing walls. It was good. Aim to add one internal bedroom, but in this case, you literally doubled the number of internal bedrooms. You had not one, but two. But wait, there's more. <laughs> so number two of the um, cash flow hacking principles, <laughs> assess the rent. Um, this was very much in terms of your intention was to look for a strong cash flow deal, correct? So um, although we might think about, should we split this house into two? Should we go multi-room or room by room? Very much here, the driver was, let's get let's get this turned over, let's get let's muck in, bring the kids in, we'll do what we can to keep the reno cost down as much as possible and move into the next one. So in this case, Vicky and Stratton really optimised the, the square metres, 110 square from two to four bedrooms, as you've seen, phenomenal, uh, and kept as a single income rental. And then walk us through as well also the upgrade to the kitchens and the bathrooms. Yeah. So this was a, this was great. So I mentioned before they had, they had plumbing in two areas. The toilet was originally separate but part of the laundry area. Now these are all after photos. What's really interesting to note is the top left photo is the original bathroom. They saved a lot of many dollars by not having to refresh this. This was actually how the house presented itself minus the toilet. So there was a lot. There were a lot of laughs here because <laughs> we were sort of talking about the fact that hey, we want to turn this. We could easily turn this into a two bed. Uh, sorry, two bathroom property. There's a laundry with a toilet. The original bathroom, which is very modern, lacks a toilet. There was no toilet. So <laughs> uh, normally you want eight eight fifty to to nine hundred mils of width to um, <laughs> comfortably add in a bathroom. Uh, sorry, a toilet. And uh, with a lot of uh, research, market research. <laughs> 
they uh, actually found that quite perfectly a second toilet could be popped into the original bathroom and that's where all the plumbing was. So with very little effort and a confirmation of a building consent exemption, uh, the laundry was converted to the right-hand photo, that's a shower was added in, and the second, sorry, the main bathroom had its toilet added in. So all of a sudden, two bathrooms, and in the bottom there with the kitchen, those cabinets are original, or how they were purchased. The bench was upgraded. You'll see there's a gap there. That's where the washing machine is moved. You can move a laundry into its kitchen, into the kitchen, sorry, uh, with a building consent exemption. It does not require building consent. So with the dishwasher there, it was a perfect place to house the washing machine which meant the second bathroom could eventuate and uh, I think all that needed to happen actually was a slight reshuffle, a rejig of the cabinets, fresh bench top um, and a tile splashback. And then walk us through the paint refresh. Now I had given Vicky and Stratton a lot of pet talk about how hard this job would be. There were there were many different wallpapers and we said, okay, pull the kids in, this will be the best uh, cost effective <laughs> job you can have them do rather than the professional. The paint, the wallpaper stripping is mind-numbingly <laughs> difficult. And uh, what actually eventuated was, I think it took you all of five minutes and just blew all my theory out of the, the water, right? <laughs> the kids took it off, they, they had it all done within an hour. So it was actually a very clean, easy job. Replaster, repaint, it looks a million dollars after that. Now the flooring, they were also able, there were some cost savings here, they were able to keep the flooring, the carpet was quite new. So they really saved four or $5,000 here given the size of that living area. Now up top is the lounge, but here for the photos I just wanted to show um, what they were able to also keep. That bottom photo for the after, that is in fact the old dining room come bedroom. Given it has an external access, it's quite good to just keep the flooring as it were. And then they matched very cleverly um, in the laundry, which became the second bathroom, a similar type of vinyl. So the carpet they were able to maintain and give it a good clean. And then the hard flooring, there was a bit of patching, but otherwise very consistent and fresh. And walk us through, just lastly, the, the, the second to last, or, or last technically, uh, element of the cash flow hacking process, yeah. we've got fittings and hardware upgrades. Yes. So um, they, Vicky and Stratton largely took care of this, it was quite modern as I say, there had been progressional sort of upgrades on this house, but one thing that was really peculiar that we all sort of had a giggle about was the, inside those walls of the deck there were these like solid railway sleepers, these huge, I don't know, cast iron or something um, that were all sort of sticking out. So you've done a phenomenal job of just sort of seamlessly painting or staining the area just to kind of make things look good there and just tell us with the insulation who ended up I remember there were talks about okay we'll do this the kids will do that what actually happened with the insulation because I know when you do apply it it can save quite a lot of money there too that ended up um well Stratton went under the house and then decided you weren't so keen on doing that job. I pulled all this old foil down that was attached to the bearers um ready to insulate the bottom of the house and then um, realised a bit of a back injury as well around that time. So, uh, yeah, we actually paid for someone to come and do the insulation. Delegate, but, delegate. Um, yeah, you might be, yeah, the underfloor insulation. Um, but, yeah, um, I'm, are you thinking of maybe the other Christchurch investors that got their kids to do the insulation under their house? I re yeah, they do. <laughs> I remember we had some chat about it, but I did recall that there was a bit of a detail there. No, but um, and for, in terms of healthy, upgrade, healthy home upgrades, those were all made compliant as well. Obviously, second bathroom, so uh, extractor fan there as well. And now, this was a really interesting one because can you just talk us through actually, Vicky and Stratton? Because 
here to really get, honestly, quite a record rent for the suburban central Christchurch. Um, there are certain there are five or six rules to comply with that 30 square metre detached rule. Um, you know, this was a ready to go, well, custom built, but ready to ready design of a healthy home certified cabin. Now, this is about a 20, 21 square metre two room cabin, but based on having to comply with height and distance, sorry, distance from house and boundary, it didn't quite fit. So you actually did work with the supplier to tweak the dimensions. Do you want to just talk us through that? Because we wanted to make sure this could be consent exempt. Yeah, so um, we realised once, once because we wanted to put the cabin at the front of the property and realised that I needed resource consent when we were talking to the council. So around the side of the house is where it could be put in because it has to be a certain distance away from the front of the property. Mm -hmm. uh, was it 1.2 metres? Yeah. Um, so when we were looking at the side of the property, we realised the cabin in its normal state of being sold the, the dimensions that they normally set, sell it as would wouldn't actually um fit in with that within that regulation mm -hmm. so we actually spoke to um those titan cabins that went through and titan um they were quite good in the sense that they went to the build team and we gave them the dimensions that we required so they actually what they did with it is they shrunk it made it longer and made it skinnier. So, <laughs> um, so that meant it was able to fit in that space and be exempt, which was awesome. But I just wanted to say we missed an important point. Um, in our situation, servicing has always been our challenge. Uh, Vicky works casual, I work full-time, but in kind of modest kind of paid roles as well. So household income, um, we're happy to share it, but we're talking around the 100,000, right? But um, it was very important when we sat down with Elsa that we uh, made servicing cash flow the priority. Mm -hmm. So we always knew um, land banking and uh, equity uplift wasn't um, the important thing here for mm -hmm. us. It was servicing. So that's why we just saw this opportunity and smashed it with these cash flow hacks to get that additional income. Yeah. Yep. And you nailed it. Yeah. What was the length of the renovation because you know it's one thing to employ a build team and get them to you know run it through with their team but you really wanted to learn the ropes here and be involved and also save dollars where possible so what is the total length for this renovation when we cover all seven steps here um yeah we we looked worked alongside the build team for a while but unfortunately i did an injury to my back so and so that delayed things and we had family visit from the uk and we you hadn't seen them since pre-covid so it delayed things, but altogether, it was not too bad. It was 12 weeks, around 12 weeks that we managed to get all that done. To triple everything the number of going perfectly. Yeah, everything going perfectly. We would have maybe done it in nine or 10, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but we had some, okay. had some great friends that came and helped us yeah. out when I was lying on a couch at home feeling sorry for myself. <laughs> And Ilsa, let's run into what the afters looked like because I know that we're getting close to the 8pm mark. Sure, and that's the thing. You say, you know, 12 weeks, that is incredibly fast. I mean, you've trebled the number of bedrooms, you doubled the number of bathrooms, let's not forget that, and also you cleverly navigated a lot of council conversations with the, the build team to make sure that everything here was consent exempt. So, you you know, there was a lot to unpack here and you did have a lot of things going on. So these are some of 
my favourite photos at least, I can think if, if you look at the, the central bottom photo, you can see they've also added into here. So within that spend, they've also gone above and beyond with sprucing up the deck, exterior paint, also looking at getting the same colour for the cabin, the custom cabin. So really they've cohesively brought what was uh, a primary colour fest into a really um, gorgeous, <laughs> gorgeous um, rental property at a record rent for the area. And on top of that, which we haven't discussed, but if you flick to the next one, Ed, uh, rent of seven ninety in the suburb was was quite impressive. Um, on top of this, uh, uh, Vicky and Stratton really wanted to, to support a local social housing provider here, and uh, one that focuses on family units where there are often two or three generations there. So often cabins or sleepouts can provide extra private spaces, whether you have sort of two sets of kids with maybe, you know, early 20s and then some younger kids. Those extra spaces are great for privacy or if you have a grandparent or another relative there. So you truly utilised all of the space and the availability of the land and the house to get the best rent return. Um, and I know that also required a bit of navigation because um, getting that, getting so much change to a property and having a vision and getting a, um, a future uh, tenant to understand what you're doing, you really took them on that journey. So including the, the two-bedroom cabin and all of the renovation costs and the exterior paint, a total investment of 526000 and one thing I want to talk about, Elsa, is clearly the cash flow side as well. So we said initially that had they rented it out at that point, it would have been a $290 top-up per week, mm. and I believe negatively geared by about $14,000. Now, if we just cash flow hacked it and didn't rent it out to a local community housing provider, what would that cash flow have looked like? Would have been improved by about a third. And that was definitely an interesting, you know, one of the options. And, and with all of our investors, you never know what's going to happen with government changes or policies. So it's always prudent to look at the uh, the baseline numbers. So this is what they were guided by. Vicky and Stratton very aware of this. And we always want to make sure that regardless of different policy changes, the the worst case scenario is covered. So worst case scenario after the renovation, 215 top up. But in fact, with uh, getting on board this local social housing tenant, that top up reduced to $91 per week. And that's at today's interest rates. And it's really important to note that that all comes from the change in taxes. So as soon as you take your existing property and you rent it out to a social housing provider, you no longer get hit by the additional taxes that property investors who invested in existing properties currently get hit with. So that change of about $135, it looks like, I think, per week, that is simply by paying less tax because of who they've chosen to rent that property mm. out to. Now, Ilsa, walk us through sure. the numbers before we come back to Vidi, uh, Vicky and Stratton to talk about what they'd do if they had a time machine and could do it all again. <laughs> so 426 is what they purchased the property for, which was slightly below market. And um, if we look at how that sort of split at the old rate of 40% deposit was how they purchased this property. Um, sorry, 40% deposit, so they needed 170k there. They could get a loan to purchase that property. Now, um, post renov oh, that's what we've got here. So their goal, if they wanted to be able to rip out their entire amount of what they spent on both the loan and the renovation, they needed this property to be worth about $546,000. Now, we almost need a drum roll to talk about <laughs> what they eventually got it up to. I believe we got it up to $590,000. Now, what that mm. meant 
and this is really important guys, is they could borrow up to 383,000, just above $383,000 against that investment property. Now, why is that important? I know that equity wasn't their main issue, but what that meant is they would be able to take out some of that deposit, some of that, all of that renovation money that they'd spent on it, and they could recycle the money they had invested into this property in order to be able to use that as the deposit for the next property. Of course, mm. the Boo strategy is buy, renovate, rent, refinance, and then repeat. And it's those last two things I want you to focus on because through this renovation, they could borrow more against that property that they just renovated, rip out almost another $128,000 to use as the deposit for the next investment. Oh, I'm honestly so proud of them because it has been an uphill battle in terms of the market has been tougher and tougher and tougher. And in the kind of burr land or burr world, you're always watching month by month what the market's doing. Is it heading up? Is it heading down? And and I think, you know, over 12 weeks, like you say, 12, 12 weeks of renovation in a declining market to have had a registered valuation of 590. I remember receiving that email from you and how excited you were. And it truly is such an accomplishment because it's not as though you purchased a property and didn't do anything with it and lost some of your deposit. You have gained a ton of equity and proven yourselves that you can do what you did and you can apply and carry all of that forward to the next deal. Now what's really cool is you are now looking at, hey, we've gone full steam into passive income and looking at the rental returns on this one, but actually now you've got the, the option to think, well, how do, we, how do we go about the next purchase? And you have options because you have a pre-approval already. Now one thing I just want to do to wrap up with Vicky and Stratton is ask you this. It's time machine time. <laughs> if you could go back, what would you change if you could do it all again? Um, what would we do differently? I think we learned a few things just working alongside. The builders are great. They really were. But I think we probably should have maybe changed what order we were doing things. Um, yeah, one one big um, change we would make and what we've learned from is, and it's a simple little thing. <laughs> However, it's... Um, how you kind of let the renovations take place. And while the builders were still inside the house, um, they'd finished in the bedrooms. We decide, oh yeah, let's start painting in the bedrooms while there's still mess being created and things like that. <laughs> so next time we'll definitely paint the outside first and then mm -hmm. focus on the inside. But I think we were just cautious of timings. We want to get things done, but that was a good learning curve yeah. um, at the time. So those little practical things you do yeah. very much pick up along the way. So, and those um, but otherwise, um, sorry, yeah, on you go. <laughs> I was just saying, and those are the things that you, you can theorize or you want, and you can plan and prepare as much as you want, but those are actually very important details that you learn by doing. And all of that that you've learned through doing, you carry forward into the next deal. And, and what naturally happens, right, is that your expectations go, oh, I've hit an 8% gross yield here. Let's do an 8.5. Let's do a 9. And you'll, you'll do like a PB on yourselves. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah, exactly. And that's how we feel now. We've now got that confidence where we're like, right, we know exactly what we're looking for. We know what it will produce for us. We know where we can um, save money. And so, yeah, the next one, we want more from it, you know, so, and so it was a good, good learning experience. So, and also, yeah, I, I think we're obviously, it's, I think we'll come to refinancing, but that's all worked out really well as well, going from a second tier lender to a main bank now, you know, mm -hmm. so that um, it helps us um, moving forward as well, because like we said, servicing is the challenge because of the lifestyle we've chosen. 
So um, going from a uh, second tier lender to main bank has suddenly yeah. uh, helped us as well um, with um, getting the next mm. property also. So Yeah, because yeah. if I understand correctly, there was it was a second tier lender through the course of the purchase of this property, financing, and now, so what could have been, what, a 9% interest rate, dropping back to a 6.5-ish. Is that right? Yeah, Thank you very so much, much so. So, yeah, it does um, very much uh, helps. And, you know, looking at that graph now where we're still a bit negatively geared, um, which is based on uh, our interest rates, and we're now actually um, neutral, which is amazing. So, yeah, in this market, it's great. It's very, is a win in itself. <laughs> Fantastic. Hey, we're going to say thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate it, guys. We'll let you turn off your camera now. And we're just so grateful that thank you are you. here with us. Well done. Well done. You've done it all. We have got one more person that we're going to talk to tonight. And I see we've got some questions from Matt. We've got some questions as well from Rebecca. We'll come back to those in the Q&A section. But we are now going to hear from an investor named Jess. And just before we bring her on tonight, what I want to talk about is just introduce her a little bit so you oh. get to know her. So, Jess, um, we started uh, talking, gosh, maybe eight, nine months ago, and at the, at the time, Jess and her husband, they um, they already owned a standalone property, sorry, a standalone, a single investment property they had in Auckland, which is where they lived originally. So through this process, over the time that Jess and I have been working together, she was originally living with her family of four in Auckland, and over that time have moved to Dunedin, which is where this case study is, which is a, a great one to share. Now, at the time, Jess and her family, um, they had a single income property in Stonefields, out in uh, Auckland, slightly east Auckland, returning about $800 per week. And she said, look, we have big business aspirations. They had a lot of change going on, very busy, have twins, um, very time constrained, but really have these big aspirations. And they have um, a lot of experience within the family and they knew that they wanted to build a property portfolio, but they equally knew, in contrast to Vicky and Stratton, that they needed to have the ability to be hands off. Um, and when we got talking, I said, look, that's great, you've got this property here. Um, they wanted, that actually, in fact, they were already on the market to sell that property, but they were quite concerned about whether um, they would be able to beat the rent they were achieving with that property. And they were also worried about the fact that selling in a slightly declining market, yes, there was going to be a bit of capital growth lost or value lost, and they were quite nervous about whether they could make it back. So those were some of the thoughts that they had as we started working together. And for them, they really wanted to prove to themselves that they could have higher performing rentals so that they would be able to move into the next deal. Also, because they had some growing business interests, um, Jess was very, very um, attuned to making sure whatever they bought going forward was going to give them the ability to extract all of that deposit into a next deal. Cool. So, Jess, I want to bring you on. Unmute yourself, and we're going to have a wee chit-chat. Hello, Ed. How are you? Oh, we're so good, Jess. Welcome along to the show. And the best thing is, from the sounds of things, it doesn't sound like we've got any echo, which is great, so we don't have to mute and unmute. So let's start off, Jess, with what your goals were. I see that you had a Stonefields property in Auckland. That's right, Ed. So I guess uh, Lightstrad and Vicky, I did the classic, um, which you know is a rule one that you would probably say don't do in property investment, and had a property that we lived in, paid a lot of debt down, 
got wanted to move on, realized that we could now afford two properties and decided to rent that one out. And at the time we had bought a, a, the property that we moved into had a granny flat attached. So in our mind, we thought we've got this one property in Stonefields. We've got this granny flat attached to our house. Our two tenants pay off our interest bills. Um, that's pretty good going. We're just in charge of the capital. And we, we thought that was good. Um, but as the market changed, interest deductibility was removed and we started looking, you know, at our steps forward and I started educating myself um, and and have a lot of thanks to the Property Academy podcast as well. We realised that, you know, I think, Ed, you often talk about if you have an asset type, would you spend that money again? And I started looking at that Stonefields property that we thought we'd done really well because we'd had, you know, we had two properties in Auckland and they were, you know, paying their own interest bills. Um, we looked at that and we thought we wouldn't buy that property again. It's mm. it's a very poor investment. So that's when we started looking at, um, what, you know, what do we do next? I got to admit, honestly, Jess, it means so much to, to me when, when somebody says, <laughs> hey, I actually listened to you and, and it actually meant something. And let's talk a little bit about that property. It's a beautiful looking property, value about 1.5 million, renting out for 800 bucks a week. And we can see it's right next to the big Mount Wellington there up in Auckland. Yeah, it is. And and as Elsa mentioned, it was a bit emotional for us at the time because, you know, as you can see, it's a it's a townhouse, so there are like for like properties. And at the peak of the market, you know, houses were hitting 1.8. I think our neighbour might have even sold for 1.9 million. So for us to then come down and we we saw the market kind of turning and we put it on we we knew we wanted to sell, but we had a tenant in place. So we put it on the market and you know, we were selling well below CB and it, it felt like a bit of a failure to us that we, 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 we hadn't missed the market, we'd missed the peak of the market. We were selling it below what we thought it was worth. But as Elsa said, we, we really, we ran the numbers and we looked at the steps forward and, and we knew we could do better. So we still thought, let's let's sell it and let's let's make the most of um, of the downward market and reinvest and and have a proper strategy around our, our property investment goals. And um, so that's when we, we really set the challenge with Elsa and we went for it. That is so true. You've always got to look at, is your capital best deployed where it is right now? Oh, it makes you so proud, doesn't it? <laughs> I am so, so proud. <laughs> talk to us about these Dunedin four units, Elsa. What have we got here? Mm. So um, similar to with Vicky Stratton, you know, uh, so Jess was incredibly proactive and looked at a lot of deals. And it's not just, hey, I hope all of these deals work. It's for the exercise sake. You know, it could be 20, 30, 40. Actually, Jess can probably correct me. I think there was a number that she did review and we co-analyzed together. And just thinking, you know, You've gone through so much effort to sell this other property. We need to make sure you do yourself justice with really maximising the opportunity. So if we think about Jess was selling this $1.5 million asset and happened upon eventually after you know many deals and assessments, she really honed her knowledge and became very clear about what was important. Now, top of mind for her and her husband was to... Uh, get great cash flow, but also add enough value to extract all of the deposit. Very important for their business ventures. So here what we've got is what they purchased, um, gosh, it must be February this year, um, a multi-office situation, a block of four units, four titles in Dunedin Central, very close to the Octagon, fantastic location, but run down, um, which we saw as amazing opportunity. 
And in fact, I'll just skip forward ahead here. This is the floor plan. So it's a two-story building, four units they say, two units down on the ground floor and two above. Now, there are a couple of different well, interesting lessons that were learned along the way that I'll let Jess get into. Um, because Dunedin, and if you're interested in the student market, because of that, Dunedin has a few rules that are quite unique. Um, and through that process, uh, Jess was able to evaluate what is the opportunity here. And when you are looking at a multi-income, you know, four incomes on one purchase gives you four opportunities to cash flow hack or see how you can tweak or uh, increase value and 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 increase the rent and when you are looking at a multi-income property the power in that not only becomes the compounding of time but the compounding effect of adding value to the rents to add value and through all of the the exercise of the the spreadsheets and things Jess really saw that hey look I can see this huge opportunity here at the time uh, only two of the properties two of the four were rented two of them were not suitable or habitable let alone Healthy Home Certified. So the rent at the time was only 280 per week on two of those units. And what was the opportunity you spotted here, Jess? What made you think, this is it, this is the one for us? <laughs> well, so there were a few things. Um, firstly, thinking about the cash flow hacking principles, um, there was the opportunity in, within the floor plan to add an extra bedroom. Um, however, the Dunedin market was a little bit tricky in the sense that they have a rule about how many bedrooms you're allowed to have per um, metre of land. So usually it would be an unconsented activity to put a wall up and create an extra bedroom. However, within this particular property, to do that, we had to get resource consent. And during our due diligence phase, we came, we talked to a surveyor planner and he said we've probably got about a 50% chance of getting that through. So we had to go unconditional on this deal, hoping that we could get the extra bedroom, but also planning for the fact that if we couldn't, we still had to make the deal work. Mm, make the numbers work. And mm -hmm. the other thing which was we felt was really good about this property, and particularly because we, as Elsa mentioned, we had a lot of moving parts with our business aspirations. This particular property has each of the um, the units were already unit titled. So down the track, that gives us options in terms of split banking across this one property. It gives us options to sell down, uh, sell down one or two if we need to release cash. So those are things stacked up to think, actually, we've got a few options here we can improve, but we've also got a few get out of jail free cards um, up our sleeves as well. That's probably a really nice point to start talking more about the return on investment if there wasn't a cash flow hack. So also mm. walk us through, I see an $852 <laughs> top up per week mm. if a, not cash flow hacks. That's the thing, I think if, if, you've, if you're a, a viewer who has followed anything that Ed and Andrew have said, you know, um, just buying an existing build property and not fully uh, cash flow hacking or fully renovating to bring up the standard and improve the rent. This is a massive top up. Like I've never 
let an investor buy this sort of top up. So this is a massive top up that not not every investor could afford. So this is the scenario if they had not uh, found an opportunity to massively change the circumstance of that property. So if we run through these principles here, this was you know uh, looking at that floor plan that we had there because of the uh, the land restriction that uh, Jess mentioned. Basically, the rule for Dunedin is that you can have one bedroom per 45 square meters of land. So this was four times two bedroom units. Based on that formula, three of those four units were able to have a third bedroom added. So what you'll see as an end result is that rather than spend time and money and holding costs trying to fight for that final fourth unit, it made absolute sense even without that for this deal to go ahead. So three of the four units um, were able to have an internal bedroom added. Now the kitchen was a very large space, very forgiving space, and the dining um, can easily be propped into that. And even with the wall, so if you look at the bottom photo, the wall on the right-hand side is a new wall that segments off the new third bedroom, there's already a lot of space um, for this. So this was a very uh, logical way to update the floor plan. Now here, looking at assessing the rent, it's already multi-income, just very dated, needed healthy homes upgrades, needed a bit of love and care, and a bit of uh, some, some great aesthetics to, to sort of prop it up. So uh, what Jess decided to do here was really, look, let's, let's take the wins, let's move with the three based on increasing the income and looking at supporting, again, a social housing provider, which is very much a personal choice, they knew that based on the numbers and what they wanted to achieve, this was going to make uh, the deal work for them. Number three, upgrading kitchens and bathrooms. Um, the you know, they were very much original, as you can see in the photos above. So full kitchen replacements, um, all provided and managed through the local team. Actually, that's one thing we haven't really talked about is that Jess is so busy um, with her family that this was very much briefing, delegating and entrusting with the local power team to, to execute this. And they consulted, of course, on all the key details. Um, however, once the, the renovation script was decided, um, I think, Jess, you said you went to site four times, which when I think about a return on the number of visits was incredible at the end of the day. But if you look at the bathrooms to the right-hand side, the build team really took care of helping Jess work out how to retrofit some quite unusual spaces given that it's an existing build. So that bottom right photo is the showers in these places are huge compared to what we would normally see. Quite often we're fitting these 900 rounded showers in. These, these units all have 1500 mil showers, so really well specced, engineered stone top kitchens, um, custom kitchens, really, really well upgraded. Walking through the paint refresh, this was an interesting one as well because in both of these case studies tonight, both the interior paints were completed. This was more of a cost-effective over the wallpaper, no issues there, still looked really, really fresh. On top of that, Jess worked with the council to work out how to, um, actually, Jess, I'll get you to talk a bit more about that, but through reinforcing and upgrading the balustrades for the access as well as creating more privacy for each of the downstairs units, it did add value, but it also was what the council, I think, uh, requested. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So, um, in 
because of what I said, that the adding the extra rooms went below what the council um, had as their sort of normal, straightforward approval process, there were a few conditions that we had to meet, mm-hmm. and that is creating a number of, you know, some private outdoor spaces within the units. And one of the good things about these units is that all of them um, have two entrances, mm. which is, is not actually typical for this type of block. And that meant that this was possible. So yeah, all four units have their own private outdoor spaces now, which is great. Mm. And there's actually two accesses to the block. You, you have an easement down the back. So they are truly independent units, which I, I guess would add value as well. And so number five, flooring refresh. A lot of the flooring um, did need to be upgraded. So re- retained uh, one unit where the carpet was was very modern, but in, um, you know otherwise very much upgraded to make it all fresh with everything else. Fittings and hardware, um, yeah, it was extremely dated. Um, so hardware really labelling, making sure four units were clear as independent tenancies and new letterboxes, as you can see. Laundry tubs, really bringing this up to a modern standard was uh, just you know, really putting all effort in to increase the rent return, but also add value, which is the other motivation. Now, if we look at this floor plan, uh, the red lines sort of signify you've got uh, the third bedroom uh, away from the kitchen. So the doors for those new bedrooms come off the hallway, which was very natural. And still you have a a really well-functioning kitchen with a dining area and a living room there. So three of those four units, as we've said, have had a third bedroom at it. So those three rent for $550 per week post renovation and one of them has been left as a two bedroom at $500 per week. But again, four separate unit titles, which means, you know, several chess plays, you know, to be made if you want to either split bank or sell and uh, retain the rest. And so Elsa, talk to us about what it costs to purchase this property. Of course, it was originally purchased at 925, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, this was actually all of the commentary and it was a multi-offer situation, quite competitive. I think actually at the time, I think three or four of our accelerator investors sent it to me and said, oh my gosh, this, this looks great. Not everyone can can and can kind of sort of reach up to that sort of budget or complexity. Um, Jess, very, very capable through very clever negotiations from about, I think an expectation of over $1 million, brought the purchase down to 925 and very reasonably requested that a couple of windows which were not double glazed in keeping with the rest of the properties were part of what the vendor needed to improve uh, before they would take over. Um, so a loan required of 555. Keep in mind that Jess's previous property was $1.5 million. This here, therefore, was recycled into. She sold that property and purchased this uh, block of four units for nine two five, um, and so she had a lot of cash left over from that original property. Now, from the benefit of a multi-income property, as I say, is by increasing the income, and through a registered valuation, uh, Jess knew that with more confidence that than with a single income property, she was going to have more likelihood of recycling that capital out to move again, which was very, very important for her to build her portfolio. Adding into that the loan for the renovation, um, that was originally, <laughs> Jess, you might want to talk to this, so originally we were looking closer to a $200,000 fixed price quote, but there's sort of always that extra thing that you want to account for. Do you want to just briefly talk on that? Yes, so I guess one of the things that Elsa has always, with all her um 
her accelerators, um, you know, make sure you've had got a little bit of um, extra budget. And so we always sort of expected that we would have a few surprises. So the builder quoted about 200000 um, we knew we had additional costs in there with the resource consent. Um, and to be honest, we were flying down from the end, so that's included in that as well. Plus, we also had a little, um, I guess, unexpected cost around the plumbing um, because in these types of buildings, um, there was actually copper piping used. So we decided that because we want this to be a long-term investment, that we would replace all the plumbing to make sure it was you know, up to standard and will last another, you know, 50 years because it was coming to sort of the end of its 50 to 70 year lifespan. Um, and that really was, yeah, to, to make sure that we weren't cutting corners for the, for the future long-term hold of this property. And I see that Miguel in the comments section as well has asked, did you keep single glazing or move to double glazing for these units? Uh, that's a good question. We're partially double glazed, so there was already some double glazing completed. Um, however, a few of the rooms didn't have them. Um, we did think about it, but when we consulted with the property investor, uh, 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 the property manager, they said there was not an increase in rent, which would be achieved from double glazing the whole thing. So we decided to just keep it as partially glazed. It's all double glazed in the lounge and most of the bedrooms. Mm. And walk us through, Ilsa, what was the new value? So we've purchased this with a $555,000 load. Of course, there was a large deposit in there as well. Mm -hmm. We've spent $236,000 on that renovation. What's the final value? Registered valuation. I was so excited. Jess called me. one6 Correct me if I'm wrong, Jess, I think this was about a 10-week renovation. I remember you saying, look, I've flown to look at this property four times during the renovation. So if you think about that from a return of how much you had to be involved, it's what, I don't know, $120,000 of return for flight to check in, but very much delegated to the power team based on the brief that Jess had set. So in terms of a top-up, $491,000, very much the initial capital that she had put in for the purchase was is able to be recycled out into the next deal, which was her primary objective. And not only that, I think even if you add up um, the topped up loan plus the amount of renovation spend, it's still less than the $1.5 million that was in the other property. So really important to just notice there, uh, just for anybody new to property investment, so initially Jess had used a $555,000 loan in order to purchase that property. But through renovating the property, she was then able to borrow almost $1.05 million. So compared to that original loan, she was able to borrow almost an extra half a million dollars against that property for future deposits. So that's gonna cover all of her renovation costs and free up an extra half a mil to put towards the next property. One thing we should also point out is through the, the timeline of this project, it's so fresh that when Jess bought this property, the deposit required was 40%. As of this month with the registered valuation, you only require 35%. So we've reduced the deposit requirement by 5%, well the government has, sorry, by 5%. So that has also nudged Jess forward a little to make sure that there's extra cash she can pull out towards that next deal. So that's really important to note, is that a deposit going forward, 35% deposit or usable equity is required to move into that next deal. And that has helped her 
uh, get her new pre-approval with, uh, <laughs> with Pete um, to look at the next deal immediately. So four units here, cash flow hacked, um, the three times three beds plus the one two bedroom unit, a total rent of $2,150. Now keep in mind there's a couple hundred thousand dollars there of, you know, from that original property that's still unused, but that's almost a trebling or triple income, two or three months of involvement, analyzing deals, finding a great way to add value to a property. The result has been almost a, a tripling effect of the rent from there. Uh, what Jess also researched through the, the, the time of that uh, renovation period and she did manage to come across a social housing provider that she wanted to support in Dunedin. And so this property as a result, because of the interest deductibility that comes with that, this property, even at current rates, is already passing back to her post-tax income of $269 per week. So it's a positively geared property in an environment where we just don't see that usually. And what I want to come to is just to identify that we've gone from $800 per week with that original property in Stonefields to over $2,000 per week. That is a 2.7 times of that rental income. And it is just quite amazing. Now, what I want to ask Jess is the time machine question. It <laughs> is time machine time. If you could go back, what would you change about this renovation process, if anything? Oh, th thanks, Ed. I think it's a really good question and, and it's difficult to answer because I think my husband and I have talked about it quite a lot. You learn so many lessons and sometimes the, the, when you feel like you've made a mistake, um, it kind of you know makes you learn even more. And I think if I look right back to having the Stonefields property and our decision to hold on to that property when it potentially wasn't the best investment, um, and I'll use another one of your quotes here, Ed. You know, you, you said on one of the podcasts, you know, play to win, not play, not to lose. And that's something that we've really held tight to us in the sense that, you know, we we sold that Stonefields property, we sold it under this um, under what the, the government valuation was at the time. Um, but actually to worry less about that, you know, paper money you think you're losing and think about the opportunity cost of what you could be gaining and so I think that's one really important lesson that I would really promote people to really think about when they're looking at their their property strategy um I also think um one thing to be really that's been really important within this property but also when I look at other properties that I've analyzed and and I wanted to push play on and Elsa kind of held me back on or or didn't work out for various reasons is the best and the fastest way to gain equity is to buy equity. So you have to buy well. Um, and so hold to those numbers. And and I got always got really emotionally attached to every property that I did research on. And so I wanted to buy all of them. I go walk down the street and I want to buy property. Um, but actually to think about you've got to buy under value because if you don't, it's a lot harder to, to build equity. So starting off with that first point of buying well, and then also knowing about how you're going to build that equity on the other side is just a really important lesson to, to grasp and make sure um, when you're making those decisions that you know those numbers on the way in and, and so you know what you're going to get on the way out. 
That's wow. such fantastic advice. We really appreciate that, Jess. Thank you for being here with us and thank you for sharing your story. You know, one of the most uh, important things that I thought recently about both you and also Vicky and Stratton sharing their stories is that here in New Zealand, sometimes it is a wee bit tough that we don't like to share our personal stories, especially when it comes to money, because it's not what we're used to here in New Zealand. But the most beautiful thing is that if we get real people who are out there investing in property to share their stories, we can all learn something from them. And so I know that there will be some of you sitting there tonight who look at Vicky and Stratton or hear from Jess and think, you know what? If they can do it, maybe I can too. And that is the real power of people being here and sharing their stories tonight. Now look, if you're here, you're all inspired about wanting to invest in property, I do want to give you the opportunity to take that next step and just talk a little bit about some of the coaching that Ilsa does at Opus Accelerate, just in case you wanna take that to the next step. Now, one thing that I do wanna say is, all of the people you've heard from tonight has had one-on-one -on -one coaching personalized with Ilsa. That is working with Opus Accelerate. And I do wanna just take a couple of minutes before we get into the Q&A to tell you a little bit about that in case you are new to these webinars. So if you decide that, hey, look, I like this, I might like to work with Opus Accelerate, here is what you actually get. You get a one-on-one -on -one personalized 12-month coaching program. That's where Ilsa looks at your specific goals and figures out how could you achieve those through property investment. She's also got local supplier relationships around the country, and we might talk about where those are a little later on, but primarily in the main centres, Auckland, New Plymouth, Hamilton and the Waikato, down in Wellington, and then also in Christchurch and Dunedin. And then they also do these really great live group education classes and they have this online education portal. That's where you get a login, you can look at all of the case studies similar to what you've seen tonight. There are on-demand modules with everything you need to learn in order to cash flow hack successfully. On top of that, we've also got supporting materials and templates that you can use straight away in order to become a more successful property investor at a community page to network with other accelerators around the country. Now, this there is a cost to this. It's $20,000 plus GST. It is a high cost. The reason is because there's a lot of value in there. So if you are interested, it does start off from 20K plus GST. Now, I just want to be really clear this is not the right fit for everybody. It's a high cost, high investment, but also high returning program. But if there's a, a voice in your head saying, I want to get rich quick, or I want to flip property, or I want to be hands off, or if this is too much money for me to invest in a program, then sweet, no trouble at all. There may be other things out there. We still want to help you through the Opus group, and there are different ways we can help you. But this specific program that we're talking about tonight through Opus Accelerate, hey, it's just not the right fit for you, but we do want to help you out, perhaps through Catalyst Financial, perhaps through uh, our insurance or accounting services, but this specific one, the renovations coaching, probably not going to be the right fit for you. Now, I won't chew your ear off about that tonight, but what I do want to put across your screen now is one final poll that says, look, are you interested in a 30-minute Zoom call with Ilsa just to talk about the program, see what's involved, see what you get? Now, if you're keen, click the top one. We'll give you a buzz to talk about that tomorrow and book in that 30-minute session. If it's not the right fit for you, no worries. Just click the bottom one. We won't give you a call, won't book in that session. And again, it's just there for you so you can make that decision about what the right 
next step for you is. And I know so many of you here tonight will already be uh, Opus Accelerators and on that journey as well. But I'll give you that opportunity now. Now, one last thing, Ilsa, just as we're getting into the next step, is if you want to keep learning, then all you have to do is follow Opus Accelerate on Instagram there at Opus Accelerate. Right, let's come to some of the Q&As. I know we've got some questions here and we are going to start asking them and let me just... There's a ton of questions there. There are quite a number. <laughs> We're going to start with the ones that I've prepared earlier. The first one, Ilsa, is... Uh, how did Vicky... Or how much did Vicky and Strannon... Uh, spend on the renovations. Mm. Yes, so for Vicky and Stratton there, they did DIY. It was sort of a combo of them uh, providing that sweet equity involving the family um, as well as still leveraging the power teams, you know, the builder, plumber, electrician, plaster, painter in some aspects, as well as purchasing a two-bedroom cabin. So the total spend on that renovation was 99000 including that two-bedroom sleep-out. Awesome. Uh, a question from anonymous uh, attendee: Do Titan Homes deliver to the North Island too? They do have. So this this uh, sleep out that you saw on Vicky and Stratton's case study was through Titan Cabins. Uh, so there is an Auckland production and a Dunedin production. Um, so uh, within each island coverage. Yeah. Fantastic. Let's come to Derek who asks if I wanted to sign up for Opus Accelerate for your program and I want to buy a property outside of where I live, so if I live in Auckland and want to buy a Dunedin, is that okay? Can, can the team introduce me to the right types of people? 100%. I think 90, I want to, I think I said 80, but I think honestly now it's probably 90% of our investors are remotely investing because of that ability to leverage the power teams. I mean, and whether you're in Auckland investing in Dunedin or as other clients we have in Japan, California, Dubai investing in Dunedin, it makes no difference. If you're remote and we have the teams, which we do, we can fully execute from due diligence on site right through to the renovation execution. I saw another question, which was, how did Vicky and Stratton pay for the renovations? Mm. Did they borrow that money against their own home? So separate to the property that we were focusing on, uh, I believe that they did have some cash and some revolving credit. Uh, and then in Jess's case, recycling some of that cash from the sale of the Stonefields property. So everyone's situation is completely different. Um, you know, if we were working together, we'd look at how much overall debt is going into a property and what is the return, both in terms of a value-add perspective, but also the rent return. Um, whenever we talk about gross yields with any accelerator case studies, we're always talking about the total debt, whether that's just the purchase price or including the renovation spend, just to keep things consistent. Now, we've also had another question of, when did Vicky and Stratton purchase that property? This was, the purchase was late last year and the renovation was completed early into this year, whereas Jess's has literally just finished. So they're both relatively recent cases and are declining to flat market. In 2023. Yep. And I saw there was an interesting question from Arby. I know we answered it, but let's bring it back up again. Did Jess visit, have to visit that site in person in Dunedin or did she manage it entirely remotely? Completely remote. Is it Abby? 
Yeah. I mean, oh, cool. Hey. <laughs> so, uh, so no. So, I think through the course of the renovation, just mentioned earlier today that she went four times through the renovation. Uh, through due, to due diligence, uh, she had our power team go there. So that's the builder, plumber, electrician. Any other reports, such as third-party builder report, which I think is always very important. Not our builder who's going to do the work. Third-party who can inspect uh, impartially. Uh, meth checks. Everything is separate. We try to get all the uh, experts on site to validate the opportunity before the investor needs to go down. Fantastic. And look, there was one last question that came from Mark earlier on on the webinar, which was all about wanting to buy at the bottom of the market. Now, there is a really interesting video that I'm going to be recording actually tomorrow about the latest market data. But you know what? We're just going to show you it tonight. <laughs> so, David, I think I'm going to take over your uh, your screen. David is uh, our producer who makes all of these webinars happen. And what I'm going to do is jump on to the OPAS website and show you some of the latest data. So one of the greatest things that we have just released on the OPAS Partners website is our data hub. Now, this is where you can see almost all of the data available uh, in New Zealand, everything you would ever need to know as a property investor. And one thing that I really want to show you is actually something that I've just realised is not available in data hub because it was released as an article. So I'm going to take you to the articles section instead. Uh, if you guys don't know anything about Opus Partners, uh, for anybody new tonight, uh, we release so much content uh, about the New Zealand housing market. And one of the things we do is called Private Property, which is my business partner, Andrew uh, Nichols' uh, weekly newsletter. Now, what I really want to show you is the fact that although house prices are falling uh, in New Zealand, and over the last three months they fell by 2.2% around the country, that uh, those falls in house prices aren't evenly distributed around the entire country. So if we look at what happened over the last three months, New Plymouth actually increased in value by 1.9%. Dunedin fell by 0.4% and Christchurch down by 0.5% over those last three months. But look at Tauranga and Wellington City. Oh. Wellington City down by 5.6% over the last three months and Tauranga down 3.8%. Now what I'm trying to show you here is that while we are still experiencing house price declines across New Zealand, not everywhere is declining and not everywhere is declining at the same rate. Mm -hmm. And so while we expect that the New Zealand property market is either right at its bottom right now or within a percent or two, all different regions around New Zealand will hit the bottom of their property markets at different times. So this is saying to me, Dunedin and Christchurch, they're not falling as quickly. They're probably going to hit the bottom of the market uh, much sooner than the rest of the country. And one other thing that I'll show you actually, uh, and this is again free on our website, we're looking here at how fast did house prices fall over the most recent three months and how does that compare to the three months prior? Now what that allows us to do is say are house price declines speeding up or are they slowing down? Is the property market getting worse or is it getting better? And what we can see in New Plymouth is that Previously, the previous three months, we had house prices fall. Now they're starting to increase. What about Dunedin? In the previous three months, they fell by 5%. Now only falling by 0.5%. So things are getting better. Things are slowing down. But what about Wellington City? 
oh, things are falling faster. We've gone from falling oh. by 2.2% uh, down now 5.6% in the most recent quarter. So what I'm trying to show you here is while we think that New Zealand is just one big property market, no, absolutely not. We've got a whole heap of different property markets that are operating within our wider national ecosystem. I think what's also really interesting if we think from a value-add or cash-for-hack perspective, what I've observed with all our accelerator investors is over the, I would say the last six to eight weeks have been very, very difficult for our buyers to secure deals because I have really seen that uh, the vendors are, you know, they're not giving away discounts. They're basically, I'm listing at this price and from here that's my bottom dollar. So there has been a bit of a chasm that has eventuated the last month or two and not so many deals being done. However, in the last two weeks within the group, I would say five or six deals have suddenly come to fruition. So that sort of also signals to me there's a flurry of activity has also coincided with the OCR, you know, the Reserve Bank's latest announcement. So I think the sentiment is a bit more positive. I don't really see how those prices are going to come down based on the the sort of void of expectation that I've seen. But it looks like uh, now is a really good time to, for those expectations to be met and purchases are happening now. So the activity is definitely higher than it was two months ago. I really like what David just said down in the comments section as well, who said, look at the opportunity that you've got in front of you versus what you, uh, rather than trying to time the market perfectly. I think that's yeah. exactly the right sentiment. Look, we're going to wrap it up there, but thank you so much for being here with us at Property Live. In three weeks' time, we have another webinar. It'll be me and Andrew here talking all about, I can't remember the topic actually, it's just slipped out of my head, but it'll be something good about property investment. And of course, if you guys have not yet subscribed to the Property Academy podcast, make sure you open up your podcast app and subscribe to that. It's the number one business podcast in New Zealand and we release a new show about property investment every single day. Thank you Thank so you much man. for being here with us. Yes, Love to, lovely Thank to you. see you. See you guys soon.